I think our athletes now are, are going through something and many of them are actually handling it better than, than I thought they would. Um, but I do think, you know, this could be a cool opportunity to explore um, some of your identity outside of sport because sport has been taken away. And so we, we know we have to do that when we retire. We didn't expect to have to do that right now. Welcome to Humbled. I'm Kristen Harold's daughter, your host. I'm recording these intros the day before episodes air. So if you're listening to this on the day the episode launches, I'm talking to you from yesterday. I didn't used to do it this way. I used to record a few days, sometimes even a week in advance. Just a few weeks ago, five to be exact in my case, life felt linear in a way. Like I could predict what would happen next as long as I checked my boxes and moved from one thing to another. I did a lot of traveling, flying somewhere every single week. In the mornings, I would check the same websites to see news about the election, updates from sports teams prepping for their spring seasons, and I was finding new real estate listings coming on the market with my husband. We were planning on buying in Brooklyn this summer. I don't need to talk to you all about how all that's changed, but all of it's gone now. I don't know how to feel. Two weeks ago, I was ranting to my husband about how we need to soldier on and essentially be robots so that we can just come out of this thing stronger than ever. Then two nights ago, I was crying in my car because I'm exhausted and I can't make sense of anything anymore. We've brought you stories in the past three weeks about athletes who've been impacted by this global pandemic, specifically in relation to their sports career. A senior whose final NCAA season ended right before his championship, an Olympic hopeful just about to find out the Olympics were postponed, and the GM of an international swim league team trying to hold everything together. Everyone's coping in different ways, and I've been so touched and inspired by the strength and determination I've heard. How human this is making us. I know that my general approach to problems is to pretend they're not there, and then I end up having a big old blowout just a few days later. I always feel like I have a lot of wisdom to feed people, but I'm never really sure if what I'm saying holds water, if maybe I'm doing more harm than good. But I believe in telling our stories. I believe it's one of the greatest things we can do for one another. So for this week's episode, I tapped into my Princeton network and was connected with Dr. Julia Motto. She's one of the sports psychologists working in the Princeton Athletics Department, and she also works at Lafayette College, and she has her own private practice called Elite Mindset, which we are going to link to in the show notes. I kind of feel like we're all running mini private practices with ourselves as our own clients right now, and I know for sure that Instagram is full of advice. For whatever that's worth. This podcast was created to start a conversation for athletes in transition. Now, in light of the massive disruptions to expectations, future plans, hopes, dare I say dreams, I felt like it was time to bring in reinforcements. Julia Motto is legit. After our first phone call last week, I called up a few friends, all former athletes, and couldn't get over how different things could have been if we had had access to a sports psychologist either while we were still competing or in the years after. Dr. Julie gets it. 
She works with professional athletes, college athletes, former athletes, you name it. And as a former elite basketball player herself, she gets the athlete mindset and she understands how strong the athlete identity can be. Now, more than ever, I think all of us could just use a hand. So here's my interview with Dr. Julia Amato. And getting really sport specific allows you to reach different heights and become really successful. But the risk is that you lose or don't explore other parts of yourself so that when your career does come to an end through retirement or through other ways, um, it might be really difficult to make that transition into something else because your identity is so wrapped up in sport, you don't really know who you are without it. And I think that can be very anxiety provoking for so many uh, retired athletes. God, that resonates with me so much because I think I, and I've talked about it on the podcast many times, you know, it's what I'm 13 years out from 12 years out from graduating. And I still am wrestling with who I am apart from who I was um, and kind of how those interact. Um, So you mentioned how this is affecting that, you know, the coronavirus sudden end NCAA seasons is affecting student athletes. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. Um, and so, so primarily my role is a sports psychologist at two colleges. One is Lafayette College, one is Princeton University. So in the week leading up to all of these seasons being canceled, I was sitting there in one-on-one sessions with athletes, many of them who were starting to wonder like, huh, this, this thing seems kind of serious. It, it seems like maybe our seasons might be canceled, but it, was, it, it wasn't decided yet. Um, but there was that anxiety building. And then, of course, the decisions came down. In fact, a day I was working at Princeton, that afternoon when I was finished working with athletes, the decision came from the Ivy League to cancel the remaining spring seasons. And so, you know, as you can well imagine, you know, the spectrum of reactions and, you know, emotional reactions to that, um, you know, some athletes are, um, you know, handling it better than others. You know, obviously seniors, it's a bit more difficult, especially if you were a spring sport athlete who had your season cut short. Um, If you're a spring sport athlete in the Ivy League in particular, the Ivy League has decided to stick with their principles of, you know, even though the NCAA has allowed another year of eligibility to spring sport athletes, the the Ivy League is saying, no, you can't have another year as an undergrad or and they don't allow grad students to compete. And so even though the NCA might have granted an extra year, what do you do if you're that athlete who, you know, either you don't have the money to come back for another year or you've already accepted a job somewhere and it's hard to predict or recreate the season that already started. So, but what I'm finding surprisingly is I, I think more athletes than not are actually pretty resilient and they understand the bigger picture. And while they're going through these stages of grief, you know, at first it's pretty shocking. And then it's like, you're in denial a little bit, like, oh, maybe we can find a way around this or surely they're going to change their mind. I mean, I think everyone's kind of been on that roller coaster, but I think athletes, you know, are more or less resilient and are getting to the place where they understand the bigger picture. They understand this idea of doing their part And so that means canceling their season for the greater good and safety. Um, And so I've been really impressed, actually, with how many athletes are are managing this uh, in ways that better ways than I thought they might. How do you deal with the grief and disappointment when it comes to sports? 
Yeah. I mean, Kristen, I think I'm more traumatized than some of these athletes are. I was ready to go to the final four, you know, for women's basketball to New Orleans and that was canceled. And, you know, March Madness is like my Christmas morning. I love watching the tournament. And so I, I, I do feel like as a nation, we're sort of, you know, collectively mourning this. And so the individual athletes themselves, you know, I think those who have um, something exciting to transition to are likely going to have the best mental and emotional uh, outcomes here. And so I think, you know, many of the athletes that I've been speaking with that have something they're excited about that's next, um, or they've learned over time to discipline their minds to remain optimistic, to control what they can control and to let go of things they can't, you know, through, through work in sports psychology or counseling, um, or they have those coping resources and they're very um, connected and they have a support system. I mean, they're more likely to have an easier time with this and managing this. But at the same time, I think it's important to have self-compassion. Like I know there are some athletes I've talked to who are like, I know I shouldn't care because it's just a sports season and there are bigger fish to fry here, but it's so disappointing. And I tell them, of course it's disappointing. It's, and for some it's devastating. I mean, you asked for some examples. I mean, I think I can give you a few that are you know, sort of close to both our hearts at, at, at Princeton. Look, you have a women's basketball team who is 27 and one with a brand new coach who's headed, you know, to the NCAA tournament. Very likely they have a player who's going to be drafted in the WNBA. It's one of the most exciting seasons that they've ever seen and they can't compete in postseason. You've got a men's lacrosse team with the presumptive national player of the year, having that kind of year, getting ready to break every record in NCAA lacrosse for scoring Princeton's five and oh they weren't even ranked in the top 25 now they're second in the country all of a sudden their season comes to an end and we'll never know you know there's so many of these stories Sabrina Ionescu from Oregon who foregoes the WNBA draft last year to come back solely with the goal of winning a national championship looking very much like you know a contender you know she's national player of the year all of a sudden that story ends. I mean, there's stories all across the country um, of people and athletes dealing with this. And so, you know, I think allowing yourself to go through those stages of grief is really important and not judging yourself for feeling disappointed. It, it, it might not be, of course, as big as a global pandemic, but it's big to you. And in fact, you've been working the majority of your life for some of these moments. Yeah, I was talking to my sister about this last night because um so she was a division one track athlete at duke who dealt with um just devastating injuries you know she came in as a star and and just had all the promise in the world and her career ended super devastatingly too i mean due to injury it's like that you know that's the closest the, that's the closest comparison i can really draw i feel like is those athletes you know because we don't really have a reference point for this right now right it's really, we have to look to what is the closest thing. And I think that's probably it, maybe. I, have you thought about that at all in in how to talk people through this? And it, like, what is your reference point? Well, I think it's really, um, I think you're right. Injury is a great way to think about it. I mean, that's an example of like, you know, I, I think of it this way, forced retirement, you know, through either graduation and you're not going on to play pros or through injury um, versus like a retirement that you chose, you know, some professional or Olympic athletes sometimes can choose when they want to step away. Um, and so 
Forced retirement via graduation, though, is a more natural and predictable course, right? So, you know, you're going to have these four years in college and during your senior year, it's sort of like you're aware this is your last season. There are ceremonies regarding that. There's a senior day. There are ways to commemorate that and kind of prepare you. So when it's when the loss is so unexpected, you know, whether through season and an injury or something like this, um, it really can be the stage of grief called shock can last a little bit longer um, or denial or just getting a little bit stuck in the unfairness of that. Um, and so I think one of the main things, you know, I would encourage athletes who are struggling with this to do is to talk about it, you know, talk about it with people who understand and get it, you know, talk about it with family, talk about it with friends. Um, it's not something that you want to keep inside or suppress. Uh, we know there are great emotional consequences to doing that. You know, when you hold things in and you don't talk about your stuff, you tend to get either, you know, super depressed or angry or you're, you know, sort of looking for outlets that are not healthy. Um, and so, you know, most of us know um, holding things in, it's just not good for your emotional health. And so I think having conversations about this, um, seeking counseling when when needed and, you know, the athletes that I'm working with now who have, you know, who aren't seniors and who are actually going to come back for seasons next year, it's it's about staying active, man. It's like, don't stop just because there isn't a season. Um, there are so many good benefits to, to staying active and exercising. And, and so those are some of the main things that I think athletes need to focus on. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it, 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 we like to hold, I think as athletes, we like to have a goal. Um and I think one of the things I've heard from people who have reached out to me is they're like, what is my goal right now? You know, what is, what, what am I working towards? Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Like how to, it, 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 first of all, is that like a, is that a healthy way to think? Cause this is like, this is so good for me, you know, to actually have you here to be able to ask is, is what I'm thinking actually good? Like, in terms of right now, when we actually don't know when we're going to be allowed to go to the grocery store without a mask on, when we we don't know when kids are going to go back to school, we don't know when they're going to stop canceling races and regattas. What um, what kind of goals can we be setting right now? Well, I find myself really struggling with that as well, where I'm I have my, you know, one foot on either side of this. There, There's I've got one foot sort of pointing in the direction of, you know, productivity. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I can do right now. And I can, you know, as an athlete, you can really take that path and, hey, let's listen to some podcasts. What are some good books you can read to start to get yourself mentally ready uh, and to develop and, and experience personal growth? You know, can you, um, you know, read some more articles? Can you take some mental reps, you know, with your sport? Hey, maybe you can't compete, can you, but can you develop the skill of visualizing competing, you know, some, some tools that you can start to use. So I've got one foot in that direction, you know, where it's like, Hey, let's use this time. This is time. You're not on campus time. You can actually regulate your sleep um, time. You can, you know, sort of be around uh, family and, and, and that kind of thing. And so, um, but then I've got a foot sort of running in the other direction, which is, wow, this is a time to actually be still to kind of sit with this, to, um, be more introspective, maybe, you know, meditate, go for walks, you know, those kinds of things where there's a rest and recovery piece that maybe you weren't going to have if you were still on campus. And so I think the main thing here is 
Um, you're right. We don't know how this is all going to unfold, but I think people need to really be gentle with themselves. And if there are days you feel like being uber productive and pouring into yourself and getting things done and um, accomplishing something, I think there's a ton of value in that. And if there are days where you don't feel like doing that and you just sort of want to be, just be, I think that has to be okay too. And reserve the right to change your mind about how you handle, you know, this time. Yeah, that's, it's, um, it almost makes me emotional to hear you say that because I feel like I, as well as so many, I've been talking to my former teammates daily you know, because we're still so close. And I think that's one of the things that's so special about athletes is we have this, this like family, basically, where we've been through every, you know, the roller coaster of emotions. And, and just thinking about how these athletes who are going through this right now, how hopefully how much closer they're going to be now more than they would have been having gone through this, I hope I don't are you hearing anything like that? Yeah. I mean, look, shared adversity is a thing. You know, it's sort of how uh, teams bond. Like I'm sure you and your teammates talk about the, you were a rower. So I think that's a, a, a bit of a masochistic sport to begin with, where you're really going through some crazy amount of physical uh, exertion, um, sometimes at five in the morning and it's dark out. And so, you know, like you, I still talk to many of my teammates and, and the moments that we remember the most are the moments of the shared adversity, you know, where coach, you know, reamed you out or you had that really early workout or somebody was late and then you guys all had to run. And, and so these athletes, this is going to be a part of the fabric of their history that they shared together and um, that they got through together. And so, so I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's yet to unfold, but I do think, you know, this could be something that forges a deeper bond with some of those athletes. And I am seeing a lot of teams participate in zoom meetings and, um, you know, so virtually staying connected, um, which is which is really nice to see. Doing the best they can is what they're doing. Hundred um, percent. In I mean, in those I've I've been doing. I don't know. I find myself up and down those. We don't have to go down that road because I sometimes I'm like I just don't have the energy to act fun on Zoom. But I um, when I've been having these conversations with my teammates, a couple of them, you know, I and they you know, so many of us are so type A or whatever that means we are. We're like trying to just cram in as many projects right now. We're like, yeah, I'm going to like for me, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep this podcast going. And I'm also going to do my two other jobs and I'm going to get back in shape because like, why not? You know, like I'm lazy if I don't. And then at the end of the day, I'm, I crash and I'm just like so emotionally drained and I'm just like, it's a, uh, it's weird. It's a weird, it's a weird time. <laughs> There's so much yep, pressure. And- yeah, that that makes sense, Kristen. I think that's totally okay. You know, if when you have that head of steam, take advantage of it, enjoy it. Um, you know, this is I keep telling myself I'm going to learn a language or play the guitar. I mean, I think some, there's some piece of this that makes you a little manic, and maybe you think you could do a little bit more than than what you really can. And and I think sometimes the messaging really is, you know, slow down too. You know, so um, I think our athletes now are are going through something. And many of them are actually handling it better than, than I thought they would. Um, but I do think, you know, this could be a cool opportunity to explore um, some of your identity outside of sport because sport has been taken away. And so we, we know we have to do that when we retire. We didn't expect to have to do that right now. But in the end, 
uh, it might be something that uh, is beneficial. You know, it's it's weird too. You mentioned about injury. Um, I don't wish any athlete to get injured. It's it stinks in many ways, um, and it can wreak havoc on your mental and emotional health. But I also find a weird thing happens, especially for a season-ending injury. Athletes grow in their appreciation for the sport, and they're just like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I was ever anxious." Like all I want to do is get out there and play. Like when something's taken away from you, I think you grow in appreciation and gratitude for it. So. I'm hoping to see some of that right now as well. And I have heard that from some of the athletes I work with, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was ever anxious. Like I should just be happy to have the opportunity to play. Um, So sometimes tragedies like this have unintended benefits as well. I think that gives you a lot of freedom, a lot of hope. That's really hopeful to think about it that way. In general, before this all started, sports psychology was not, I was was, uh, actually chatting with a former teammate about um, talking to you. And I don't think, and I hope I don't get in trouble for being wrong about this, but I don't think when I was a student athlete, we had a sports psychologist on staff, or at least not one, you know, it wasn't really, I don't think it was ever mentioned to us. And I think it's amazing that that's happening right now where, you know, at Princeton and all over the country at, at schools, how can sports psychology change the athlete world? or specific athlete. Can you tell me a little bit about like the benefits of sports psychology and being open to it? Sure. I mean, I think athletes on the highest stage, like Olympic stage athletes, uh, sports psychology has been a part of it for some time. I mean, if you, I I know you were talking with um, a woman from the U S soccer team and back in the nineties at the, in their heyday, I mean, they had a sports psychologist even back then. Um, But I think you're right now, NCAA teams and and campuses are recognizing the importance of having a psychologist on staff, um, someone who's got experience working with athletes or better yet, I mean, if possible, someone who's actually played a sport. And I think the reason that that's important, there's two parts to it. So there's the performance aspect of sports psychology, like, hey, let's be proactive here and teach some mental skills. We always talk about how the, the game is so mental and played between the ears. And so what kind of skills can you develop so that you're ready and prepared and in high pressure situations to handle those moments? And then there's the mental health, mental wellness piece of it. And, you know, Obviously, the the numbers are really staggering across college campuses in terms of the the levels of depression and anxiety. So in the past 10 years, that that number has doubled. So we've got the National College Health Assessment tells us, you know, 66% of our um, students on college campuses are experiencing overwhelming anxiety uh, and, and close to 40% are reporting, you know, significant levels of depression. So by having a sports psychologist on your campus, Um, You've got someone who specializes in working with the unique needs of athletes. Um, And I think that is really important. And the NCAA has pushed for that now and required um, college campuses to have increased mental health resources for athletes. That's around in 2016, they started to develop these best practices because our student athletes are saying they're identifying mental health as their number one health and safety concern. And it's really cool to see professional athletes now like Kevin Love and some others who are basically helping to destigmatize this mental health issue. It's like just because you're wealthy and a professional athlete doesn't mean you don't also have struggles. So, you know, now we've got the NBA requiring teams to have a sports psychologist on staff or a mental health person. So, 
Um, this is something that's growing, and you're right; it wasn't there when you were competing. Um, this is something you know, you know, Princeton, ha you know, specifically has committed more resources to here recently, and and um, they're following the wave, or they're ahead of the curve in some ways um, of the NCAA providing that for athletes. Oh my God, I, I couldn't be happier for the the current generation and future generations. I think it's it's amazing, and and what you're doing is amazing. Look, I think. Coaches and athletic directors are the gatekeepers. And so if they decide it's an important issue, then the athletes are going to get the resource. And so, you know, for your listeners, if there are parents, coaches, athletes, whoever is listening, um, you need to encourage the people in charge to invest in this resource because our athletes are dealing with more than than they have in the past. And, you know, the levels of depression and anxiety are through the roof. And so to have a resource on your campus or in your community, someone who, who gets it um, is invaluable. And we can literally, you know, save lives and, and help make lives better and help athletes kind of get through some of the, the struggles that they have. Do you mean specifically because of what's going on now? No, that's actually separate from what's going on now. That's that's data that's collected um, on college campuses all over the country. So those levels uh, are being reported just in general. Um, and so, you know, I, I try to put it this way. If you've got a basketball team and you've got 15 kids on that team and I'm going to deal you 15 cards, you know, from a deck, you know, 10 of those cards in the deck are going to have anxiety at some point in your season, overwhelming anxiety. I'm not just talking about like, I'm a little worried. I'm talking about, I'm so anxious. It's difficult for me to function. Um, and so, and somewhere around, you know, six or seven of those 15 are going to struggle with depression. And so as a coach, you think you're there to just coach a sport, but you've got these athletes dealing with you know, so many different kinds of pressures and expectations, and you need to have resources and services in place um, to support them so that they can have successful careers and, you know, just be well in general. So, um, you know, I, I don't say those numbers to, to scare anybody. I just say it to, to say, look, we can, we can prevent some of that from happening with some best practices and having resources in place. Um, and then I know the topic of your podcast is around retirement, but also just preparing athletes to be well-rounded and to, um, you know, segue from a sports career in, into life and arming them with the skills uh, to manage that. Can you describe the process of how athletes find you, why they seek you out, and just generally the importance of what you do? So athletes find me, um, if I'm working at their campus, We've got ways in which, you know, they're informed like, hey, we've got this sports psychology service. Here's this person. You know, here's how you can set up appointments. Um, and so we we ensure that those appointments are confidential. They don't, you know, their coaches don't need to know. Nobody needs to know that they're coming to talk um, unless they want to share that, right? Um, in general, how to find me or how to find anyone, you know, so there's, it's not just me obviously doing this work. It is, it is a growing field partly because athletes have identified this as their number one health and safety concern. So the field is getting larger. And so, you know, obviously going online and trying to find a qualified person in mental health is challenging and daunting, but it can be done. Um, and so, you know, part of what we're trying to do here in the NCAA specifically is trying to do is make it easier for athletes to have access and to have these resources. So, 
in response to the Madison Holleran suicide at the University of Pennsylvania, she was a young woman, a freshman who uh, was depressed and, and dealing with a lot of stress and committed suicide. She sort of became the face of the college mental health movement uh, for athletes. And so in 2016, the NCAA put out a bunch of guidelines for universities and campuses to follow to say, hey, we need to provide more resources for our athletes. They're, they experience unique stressors um, and demands, and we need to find um, resources for them, people who have expertise. And I think their gold standard is a licensed clinical psychologist who has experience working with athletes. And that's what I am. And so Princeton obviously is going to follow the gold standard recommendation. But there are some campuses who are fulfilling that need in other ways, like using someone within their own counseling center, uh, maybe designated somebody to be a liaison for athletes. Um, and so every college campus by this point is, is required to have that, is required to have a plan in place uh, for their student athletes to address their mental health needs. Can you talk to me a little bit about like what types of things you address? So for current athletes and even maybe former athletes and how your work might leave the actual like playing field? Yeah. So of course, you know, I, I've got some um, contracts and roles where I am serving current athletes, right? Both NCAA athletes and professional athletes that are, you know, in their sport right now, they're competing. And I address some performance related issues, but because I'm a licensed psychologist, I also deal with their mental health related issues. And those things aren't always separate either. Those things overlap. With respect to athletes who are retired, um, I don't think you know, you and I are from a different generation than the current athletes. You know, we competed, uh, I'm even older than you. So I competed 20 years ago. Of course, there were not sports psychologists uh, at Brown when I was there, or really probably anywhere in the NCAA. It was pretty early for that. Um, and there definitely was a suck it up, don't whine, don't complain mentality push through, you know, and there is value in that to a degree. But at some point, um, it actually becomes um, negative uh, in terms of your mental health when you hold things in for too long and you don't express it in some way and free it up. And so um, athletes, you know, you're mentioning your sister and some other retired athletes who maybe have gone through some things while they were competing, whether that be a catastrophic injury or, you know, underperforming or not reaching the goals that they had for themselves or, you know, an emotionally abusive coach or some other situation, um, they could obviously still benefit today from going to talk with somebody about that. We have all kinds of science to explain why that's true. Um, and, and mainly it's just that it takes a lot of emotional energy to repress that material. And so we're, our brains are on overdrive, just trying to keep those feelings and thoughts inside, even if we're not consciously aware of that. And that is causing a drain on us emotionally that we might not always be conscious of. And so it leads to irritability, depression, anxiety, and some of these other consequences, and also health-related issues. So there's a lot of evidence for um, health benefits and mental health benefits of just talking about your stuff and your experience. And that can be with a sports psychologist, uh, who's got some expertise or just a regular psychologist. I mean, I don't think it's gotta be necessarily a sports psychologist, but there's tremendous value in talking about, uh, your stuff. And I know you mentioned a friend who had a catastrophic injury and then didn't get to realize the dreams that they had for themselves. Of course, talking about it isn't going to change history, 
but it would likely change how they feel about it because it allows them to organize that story, get that narrative out, and then they're no longer having to repress that or hold that in, judge themselves for it. Um, and so it doesn't change the history, but it does oftentimes change the way that you feel about it and increase well-being. No, Julie, thank you so much. I really, I can't thank you enough. This is, I, I could spend like five more hours talking to you about any any of these topics we covered. Um, so thank you so, so much. Um, and is there anything else you want to share before we uh, sign off? Well, I, I want to thank you because I think this is a really, this, this is a really important resource for athletes. I think sometimes the, the issue is that folks feel alone or they feel like they shouldn't feel how they feel after leaving sport. Um, they're confused and they don't have a place really where they can go and connect. And, and so I, I'm really impressed with the work that you're doing and, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to talk about it with you and hopefully help some, some folks out there with, with this who might be struggling with this or, or help, you know, better still help people prepare for the future and, and understand that like, Hey, sports are going to end at some point. It's really important to explore those other pieces itself uh, and to prepare for that and um, to still find ways, though, to stay competitive, stay active and do that stuff even after your formal sport career is over. I think, you know, most of us who have a, a career in sports, we, we crave that and we need that for our mental health and wellness. So um, it doesn't mean, mean just because your sport career is over, there aren't cool, awesome things coming in your life. There are. Um, but that transition period can be a little uncomfortable until you figure that out. So just, just being patient with yourself. And that was my interview with Dr. Julia Motto. I am thrilled that college athletes now have access to her or other professionals like her. And I hope, whether those resources are available to you or not, wherever you are, that this conversation spoke to you somehow. I know that it spoke to me. I mentioned at the top of the episode that I gravitate towards being a bit robotic. I pretend everything's fine so that I can keep my productivity up. But maybe, possibly, now everything is not fine. And maybe, possibly, it's okay to soften, to take it easy for a few weeks, not push so hard. I have a lot to learn, and I'm so, so grateful to Dr. Julia Motto for sharing her wisdom. If you'd like to reach out to Julie, she does do phone sessions. Her website is www.elitemindsetsports.com. And you can also find her on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Julie Amato. We'll link to all of that on our website, which is www.humbledpodcast.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter, find out more information about other episodes, and donate if you want to support the podcast. Also, there are a lot of people trying to help, and we wanted to highlight something special our friends at Terrazzo are doing right now. Are you a college student who's missing out on career fairs and other opportunities to prepare for your career this spring? Maybe your summer internship was canceled. Terrazzo was co-founded by Olympic athletes who believe in the power of coaching. They host one-on-one -on -one virtual coaching sessions to help college students connect with professionals. And in response to current events, they've created a virtual career fair, this time for women in STEM. They just hosted a similar career fair like this last week with professionals from major U.S. tech companies like Amazon, and they had an incredible turnout and legit one-on-one 20-minute -on -one career advice sessions with professionals in STEM. 
head over to www.onlinecareerfair.org STEM. It's completely free. Just sign up with your LinkedIn profile. And then you can, of course, find more information about the company Terrazzo, who they are, what they're about, at www.terrazzo, that's T-U-R-A-Z-O dot com. We'll link to all of it on our website. Huge thank you to Claire Collins, who runs our social media and outreach and also beautifully participated in the Getty Museum Challenge on Instagram, and Brad Gulick, who I'm now finally following on Strava, and I'm discovering his love for very late night bike rides. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.